Welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast. With me, as always, is Matthew Lichtenstadter. Season's over, bud. There's good hockey to watch now. But for the for the Panthers, uh, it, you know, it kind of felt like a, a reprieve, if anything. Uh, and like you said, now we can get to the real hockey. We'll get to the Panthers, save them for last. Uh, I know you wanted to push this, postpone this until after the draft lottery selection at 6 p.m. tonight. Uh, but, you know, I don't think that dictates really what's going on as much as the NHL and as exciting as it is uh, for a lot of people, the the scary notion of Toronto, Edmonton, or Pittsburgh getting number one. Well, the Rangers winning it wouldn't be good either. Right, yeah. So we're at 50% evil. Uh, outcome 40 uh, most uh, 50% excuse me most I mean Nashville Minnesota there would be absolutely no nobody going mad over that Winnipeg I think people would sympathize with the Jets and then you'd have the Panthers I, I don't know what the reaction would be to that but uh, you will find <laughs> out later when this show is posted because we'll have an addendum <laughs> to it if we need to yes sir uh, so good luck to all the teams but mainly uh those four uh we mentioned Minnesota, Nashville, Winnipeg and I would Florida. Be that mad if Toronto won it because I actually kind of even if like the capital L Leafs winning it is bad, I don't mind the people who are running the Leafs getting it if that makes sense. I like the way the Leafs are run. I like the people in that front office. I like the way they conduct themselves. But yes, the capital L Leafs winning it would be bad. If that makes sense. It does. It does. Uh, so let's let's talk about the qualifying round and uh, the round robin. For me, it went as expected. Uh, there wasn't really any big shocker outside that Pittsburgh Montreal series. But well, uh, if of the eight series correctly, well, I don't. I wouldn't say I had it correctly, but it went just you know about what you know you'd expect. I think um, Pittsburgh, as every Flyer fan knows is is not you know it's not a surprise for them to go out in the first round. Uh, if Crosby and Malkin really don't do anything, uh, it's it's a very likely case. And if you can get the conversation about whether they should be pulling their goalie or not, uh, or uh, you know and and playing the backup to start the next game, uh, which happened uh, you know in a five game series for Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, that's a telltale sign for, for them going down. And uh, I think once the ball gets rolling, it's easy. We were all joking about how, uh, you know, Carey Price is going to steal this series. Carey Price is going to steal the series. Everybody's like, oh, really? Are you kidding? And then Carey Price stole the series. Of course he did. Coin flip hockey. He, Pittsburgh is just, uh, they're known to not be able to get it back on the rails. And... Well, Once they got carry... by the Islanders and scored like three goals. So yeah, I mean it's 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 so funny because I I don't know if we consider like the 2010 to 2015 Penguins that won nothing, and always found a way to screw up in the playoffs in a pretty hilarious way. You know, we see that in multiple years. But then they won the two cups, and then after that, they won what one series in 2018, then lost to the Capitals, and that loss to the Capitals, I guess is more psychologically damaging than we thought, maybe, because they haven't won anything since then? I don't know. I mean... It could be. I, it, I just think it's the... At, with the age of Crosby, Malkin, Latang, uh, and I think the downgrade from Flurry to Murray, 
uh, it the margins are you know wider. Well, it'll be Tristan Jari next year for sure. I mean, there's no way Murray's going to be the starter. I mean, he'll he can back up, but Jari will be the starter next year. We'll see. We'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they tried to do something else and and uh, shore up that. How can they create cap space out of thin air? I think a Malkin trade would be, you know, and if it that's always something that if Malkin wants out, he'll get out. And uh, it's every summer, it's the rumor. So uh, this fall, I guess, is the new summer, and it'll be the rumor again. Probably. I will say that um, otherwise in the East, I mean, the Rangers, they had no business really being, and they were the team that looked most out of their depth. Obviously, the two 12 seeds and 11 seed won. Uh, Carolina destroyed them, and that was without um, Hamilton and Pesci, which is uh, I mean, terrifying for the rest of the East. We'll, we'll talk about that later, but uh, I really like the way the Hurricanes are playing. Uh, it's, it's, they are a joy to watch. They remind me of a, of a pressing team in soccer that's just always on you, is always creating havoc. And I mean, when it doesn't work, it doesn't work in spectacular fashion, but when it works, it's really hard to beat, and they're the only really team in the league that kind of plays like that to that degree. So I obviously I love watching the Hurricanes, and obviously our dearly departed Vincent Trocek, he's in a much better role in Carolina than he is ever was with the Panthers, so he fits there better, and that team's just so much fun to watch. And also they're just fun in general, so go Hurricanes. Fun and built to play in a series and win a series. Well, they're built uh, because they can literally put in any defenseman that they want, and there's going to be very few weak links. Like, they understand the importance of defensemen, and they understand the type of defensemen and how many of each types of defensemen to have and how to use them. It's, yeah. it's a full complement. When, when your blue liners are playing that well. Uh, the, the, the Rangers, uh, well, well, where are Henrik Lundqvist go is an interesting question, but goaltending market this offseason is going to be really weird, but I have no idea where it's going to go because I don't even really know like what team's gonna want a goalie. Like it's gonna be such a weird off season for a number of reasons. Obviously, we will see. Uh, but I'm I'm interested to see how the Rangers do that goaltending situation. I think the Rangers are in a good position. They still need like three defensemen and depth, so they're not there yet. But I mean they're in they're good shape. I have reason to believe that the Rangers will be good soon. I just I can't imagine like this was too soon. I think next year might also be too soon. So. But Carolina's great, so go Hurricanes. Last note on Carolina, you can't overlook Aho and Svechnikov taking another step forward uh, and that being instrumental. Those two are just, like, uber fun. <laughs> yes, sir. yes, sir. They get more uh, fun, by the way. Uh, can we? Can I think of – I mentioned something I was thinking, um, recording this, of, obviously, Monday afternoon. Uh, last night when I was watching um, Cody CC do Cody CC things, Go ahead. Okay. What would happen in the hypothetical universe in which somebody decided to put Cody Cece and Mike Matheson as a defensive pair together? I don't. I don't want to go down that tangent, but I feel like I've seen close to that when Josh Brown and Matheson have ended up on the ice together, which I don't think has been Probably. too too much. I got yeah. some response on Twitter from that, so that was a fun little uh, tangent for last night. Maybe laugh a little. You have to laugh when timelines are dark. But in other words, here's a good laugher about Lundqvist. You said what happens with him. I've been having a uh, reoccurring thought that he would look good backing up Carter Hart in Philadelphia. That'd be a you know a chance. You want to kick some hornets' nests? Trading of Genny Malkin and Henrik Lundqvist going to the Flyers. 
Well, I mean, those are things that, that make sense, yes. I mean, if you think, you know, Elliot has been good and everything, but, you know, if Lundqvist would be willing to take on that role to chase a cup, I mean, that's what he'd have to do nowadays to win a cup if that's his, his goal. Or he'll retire um, and, and, you know, probably go into broadcasting at MSG, uh, you know. But that would be fun. Yeah, I think Philadelphia would be one of the few teams that would offer him uh, a chance at a cup and would be looking for a veteran mentor type uh, backup goalie at, at an expense because uh, he would be an expense. He would be a luxury item. And that's kind of, you know, Philadelphia, you look at their team, you look at their depth, uh, you know, they can afford, you know, they can afford that. They're not, it's not taking away from their defense or offensive budget, really. Uh, should we talk more about that hilarious Columbus-Toronto series, just briefly? Because that, that series was hilarious. toronto toronto <laughs> You know what they did? Do you know what they did? They got Mourinho'd. I'm sorry if you are not a soccer fan and all these soccer comparisons throw you off, but that's exactly what happened. I know, Tommy, you like soccer. Maybe not the same way I do, but, I mean, John Tortorella and Jose Mourinho have never been seen in the same room before. Scientific fact. I... Listen, you, you said you like Toronto's, um, you know, front office uh, a lot. I, I, I like Toronto's. I, some of that is because of the way they deal with people, and some of that is because of their support of LGBTQ issues, and they're very front-facing and progressive on that. Some of it is, is that, I grant you. Sure. Uh, I, I, I like their, their head coach, and I like, you know, a, a good portion of the roster and everything. I can, I, I can understand that, you know, everybody – not every series goes the way you want but if i'm looking at this this franchise and you know the last 15 years and how little they've succeeded with how much money they've spent i'm looking at a five game series where there was a john Tavares, austin matthews mitch marner line have probably lost to the bruins or you know whoever um like usual Something has to happen in Toronto. Just, you know, Toronto, I can't, Toronto gets away. I, they're as bad as Florida with way more resources, with smarter people. Um, but it's the main problem of they don't know how to address defense. They don't know how to run a team, uh, a team aspect of, you know, they can move the puck well, but they don't manage the puck as a team. They don't consistently manage the puck shift to shift as a team. Uh, and, some of their coaching decisions lately, hiring Dave Hacksaw, you know, that some of their acquisitions, you mentioned CC, but there's been a, been a few more. Failed. But, but yeah. With, with the thing we talked about, and we talk about it a lot, about quiet defensemen, about defensemen who are, you know, they just, they let the play happen and they let their forwards do their work. At least have a lot of loud defensemen. Like, Morgan Riley, for as great as he is, is a loud defenseman. I mean, Jake Muzzin's the quietest defenseman they have. Tyson Berry's loud. Dermott's loud. Cody Ceci. I mean, you get the idea. Like, they need quiet defensemen. Like, if I was going to go, say, acquire a defenseman, I wouldn't have gone for Tyson Berry. That wouldn't have been the, the player I would have wanted. You know, like, right. that, it's just more of the same. And I think yeah. this offseason for the Leafs, their forward depth is what it is. You know, I think they're going to bring up Rasmus Sandin next year, obviously. But they just need quiet defensemen. Because, again, look at the team they played on the other end. 
for all that we talk about Wierenski and Jones, it's guys like, you know, Ryan Murray, it's Gavrikov, it's players like that who are just, they just, they do what they're told to do. They play within the, what they're being asked to do. They don't try to do too much. And it works. And Over a series, it adds up, even five games. Yeah, I mean, like, the, 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 again, do I like the way John Tortorella's teams play? No, I do not. But you can't argue that it works, especially if you get a team like Tampa last year that got really frustrated by it really fast, and the Leafs also got really frustrated by it really fast. You know what the Leafs aren't? And I was thinking about this last night. Uh, the Leafs are not a patient team. No, nor are they headsy. That, but that's what happens when you build a team of all Ferraris and Lamborghinis. and You know what I mean? Like They have all of this go, 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 let's pl- push a high-pace, high-skill game and do this. But when that gets interrupted or they can't get off, you know, it, if it's really hard to do anything in a Ferrari at 35 miles an hour. Well, and that's kind of the game they get started. Hour, that's the thing. Like, a Ferrari is just like any other car now at 35 miles an hour. You are co- completely correct about that. But it's, it's worse than any other car. It's, it's hard to turn. You have to go really slow over bumps and stuff. You know, like, it's just they're not it's equipped like for that. It's also, that is also true. It's hard to drive around town. You are very correct about that. I am also a car fan, so I, I appreciate car metaphors. So I, I think that's kind of a, a little bit of the issue. And... You know, they, they, you saw Jason Spezza, who was playing a different way, who was adapting to it, had a little bit of success. And I'm not talking about the fight. I'm talking about some of his other shifts and some of the other stuff. Yes, you can say maybe the fight helped or you can say the fight didn't help. But uh, just because the, the rally took a period to get going and, and really kick off and finalize doesn't mean that you couldn't see it coming. You couldn't see the change from that fight in their attention to detail, in their finish on plays, on uh, you know, on the forecheck, etc. Um, and that's what Columbus, even if they don't have the talent, even if they lost Panarin, Bobrovsky, Duchesne, it's just all those guys down that lineup. William Flutie does it. You know, you get the Josh Anderson when he played, stuff like that. Like those are the things that are done. And those are the things that, that help you win. Now, I said, I don't know if they're gonna, the Blue Jackets are going to win a Stanley Cup. I don't think so. But the real interesting thing is, is if Tampa learns their lesson from the way they played a season ago. That will be interesting as heck. But Yeah, and I, and I think the... fascinating. Because like, the, there's only a certain team that can beat... Like, the Bruins did really well against Columbus. Because they have the skills, but they know how to play that way. You know what I mean? And, like, is... Carolina can play that way. Other good teams can – Vegas can play that way. I don't know if Colorado can, but, like, that's the kind of team that beats Columbus. So, will the Lightning have learned their lesson? I think that's the most interesting series of the first round because of it. Um, and I'll quickly say something. Uh, should we move on to the round robin? Because there's some, some things to talk about there. Sure. Uh, I, I definitely just want to say um, I was pretty impressed uh, – by the the Calgary Winnipeg series, uh, and I thought that was um, worthwhile to stay up on a few nights. Um, yeah, I enjoyed little, that. That was a fun yeah. little series. That was yeah. a fun. That was a fun little series. I just, uh, an- Calgary, another team that understands defense. Um, it's so funny how they understand date. You know what? You know what the funniest thing I realized was that series. So the Flames give goal songs to each and every one of their uh, their players when they score. So. Love it. On Lucic, on the rare occasion that he scores a goal, 
his goal song is the theme song for AC Milan, which I didn't realize was the case until I heard it, and I was laughing hysterically. So they get it. It's a very good Calgary claim. Or Milan Lucic at least have enough self-awareness to do that. So that made me laugh. Flyers dominated um, the round robin. Man, have you ever seen the Lightning get dominated like that? I can't remember, no. I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but uh, nothing nothing where they just didn't even really have and that mix right. The, the Flyers have that mix right. Like, right now, they are by far and away the best team in the East. Now, that might not be the case once other teams get their engines going, because it's clear some of them weren't really giving it their all in the round robin. But if the Flyers play like that, uh, no one's beating them. And it's not just because Carter Hart is, like, the first goaltender the Flyers have had since Hextall that's, you know, worth his salt, obviously. And the Flyers fans deserve it after 30 years of not having one, or 20 years of not having one. The, I mean, just the way that they play, perfect. Like, the style is there, the system is there, everything you could ever want is right where it needs to be. And, again, we talk about that defenseman. Oof. God, they have that they have that balance right too. We talked about it on the last show, and it's it's gonna be what gives them their best chance of winning the Stanley Cup. This is the best Flyers team since you would know better than me, uh two thousand four, I guess. Well, two thousand ten when they went to the Yeah, Cup. that team I mean, was a little lucky, let's be honest. They, they got a little It bit... was well just with goaltending, but if I mean if Ray Emery never got hurt, had that, you know, career ending, you know, degenerative hip injury, I think they would have been they would have been fine and possibly even won the Stanley Cup in 2010 because he would have been their, their goalie. It's not like that year they they went into the season without addressing it. They did. They got Ray Emery and it was working. Uh, so you kind of I, – I do give them that credit. You know, when Ray Emery went down, they didn't address it properly enough. But, you know, um, uh, that was definitely, I think, the most – recent team that you can compare this Flyers team to. But like you said, they're a little more better equipped to handle whatever gets thrown at them. Uh, Elliot's playing good enough. Uh, Carter Hart is playing very composed uh, and looks the best that he's ever looked. It's a young NHL career, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, but with with they have three head coaches on their bench. They have, they have Terrian. They have uh, Vigneault and um, blank on the other one, Mike Yo. Yes, and so you know that that helps. Uh, you know, there's a lot of experiences, there's a lot of schemes, there's a lot of uh, strategy uh, that can be pulled out, uh, and diversity of strategy and ideas that can be leaned upon. Um, and there's, you know, that's a lot of people who know the different coaches' duties and and you know how to manage their time and day. Uh, going through film, all that stuff in, in a series and, um, you know, when to ride things out uh, and when to, you know, maybe change things up or lean on people and put pressure on star players. That's, they have, they don't usually have that luxury. Usually it's, oh, they have maybe a goalie or somebody that's questionable in that goalie position and it's the same in the head coach they have maybe somebody that's questionable in the head coach uh, position um you know 2010 they had la violette which uh, wasn't a question uh, so that's comparable um the defense you know that myers and sandheim pair uh, is something that's recently 
does come that, out. That, is that not like the defense pairing that we, we talk about and all the time? Like that's the kind of defense pairing that's going to win you stuff? Because that's, that's the defense pairing right now of record. And like there are good pairings, but they're playing at such another level. I mean, they've, they've lost one game pre and post restart. Like they're playing at another level right now. So that must be. That's why they're the best team in the East right now, is because I could completely rely on that defense score to do what it needs to do. And I don't think they're going to make those mistakes. And they had the balance. You know, again, Shane Gostaspare, who was the hottest thing in the NHL for like two minutes, now is playing in a role that suits him a lot better. He's not asked to do everything. And that makes the, the Flyers' defense they're so much more balanced. They've, they're balanced. So I think that, I mean, if we're making predictions, they're going to easily roll Montreal. After that, we'll see. But right now, I mean, as we sit here recording this show, they are the best team in the East by far. Not even close. Yes, don't don't sleep on Montreal, though. I think they're going to make it a little harder uh, just because they're going to be amped up to, to prove themselves against the team that everybody's talking about. I think that's going to definitely be amplified more in a bubble where everybody's very compact, everybody's all in the same place. And if the Flyers are the talk of, you know, the Toronto bubble, like, you know, the media is reporting or, you know, at least framing, uh, I think that's going to give Montreal something to, that's going to give them bulletin board material um, for sure. I also, but I'm thinking like, can they deal with what the Flyers are going to put at them with like to win a seven games here? I just don't think that's not, I just don't think that's possible. Well, you never know what happens. uh, And basically playoff hockey is, bounces happening and then whichever team reacts the best having the leg up until the next bounce and how much they can cash in once they get that leg up. So, you know, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't count them out. And uh, I also wouldn't count on Boston as still being the best team in the East. I know they had a rough uh, three game round Robin. They definitely looked the worst, but that was mainly just because their top line didn't really do anything. If that changes, they can easily be the best again. And uh, a team like that is more capable of turning it on and flipping the switch than another team. Carolina, I would agree with you. But I have strong doubts as to whether they'll beat Carolina right now. Yeah, it was a huge, huge loss yesterday because, I mean, the Islanders, I think, were a team where you could be like... I'm not impressed. Yeah, and you could say that, you know, Boston could grit it out and get to the next round and maybe they'd have enough time to regain all their composure and their form. Playing a team like Carolina, you know, yes, it's back to a seven-game series. They have a little more time, but uh, you don't want to start off on the wrong foot and give a young, you know, definitely. Carolina uh, last year, they lost all four games, but they didn't equip themselves that poorly. Like, they're going to know what they're doing around. That's why I'm a little – that's why, I mean, if you're asking me right now who I'm picking, I would pick the Hurricanes. Like, I think that that's just – right now Boston doesn't look right and Carolina's going to jump on them. And I think that's going to be – the Bruins, I don't know whether they're going to be able to chase that series. Otherwise, I mean, you have the Capitals, I think they'll beat the Islanders. I don't think the Islanders have enough offense. I don't think the Islanders uh, really faced anything. We'll get to that later. Uh, and the Capitals, like, again, good enough. I'm confident knows what they're doing when they need to do it. And they've beaten the Islanders in the postseason before. I'm not too worried about that. Columbus Tampa is a coin flip. That's a that's a total coin flip. I have no idea who's going to win that series because the Lightning, fully healthy, I think would know what to do. But the Lightning without Hedman and Stamkos is a different uh, option. Obviously, I don't think the Lightning are going to get swept this time. But 
I'm really struggling with that series because I have no idea whether the Lightning learned their lesson or not. I don't know. And that, and that to me is really important. Like, cause what? I don't know through those first two. The what was the lesson? What, 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 what? what happened last year? When things didn't go their way, they got boo-boo faced, they started taking penalties, Nikita Kucherov got suspended, they got really frustrated, and they drove themselves into the dirt against Columbus. Do they make those same mistakes again? Because Columbus is going to grind you out. Have they learned their lesson as in, can you play patient, can you take what's given to you, and draw the Blue Jackets out? Draw the Blue Jackets out of their game. If they can do that, then they can win, but I don't know whether they can. Columbus is coming hot. Uh, you know, they just played Sunday, and then they're the first game when we return for the first round. Uh, out west, um, you know, you have that Arizona-Colorado series. Uh, I've really liked Colorado. You, you said you don't know um, if they can play, like, that Boston um, that in your face. I think, But they have a better defense for They go-go all the time. But they have a better defense score. That's the difference. I, I think they can still play in your face, and uh, they can grind it out a little more. You know, Landeskog, I think, uh, is probably the key guy that you look at. If he's going, he's a guy that can really score off the cycle, can win and, and elevate his game in that type of style of series. So I think they do, and they still have Zadorov and Cole on the back end that are you know playing relatively well. So they have a little bit more of that. Um, they're just not as much as Boston. Yeah, no, not as much as Boston. Um, but I mean, they were great. I mean, if we get a Vegas, Colorado Western Conference final, sign me up for seven games of that. That would be awesome. Yeah, I think that's the goal uh, right now out in the West. I think for everybody, we saw that game and uh, to, to end uh, the round robin. And I got to give it to the NHL. Not only does the rink look really good on TV, not only are they only piping in, you know, the sounds on some games really more heavily than others, uh, you know, but both final round robin games on the slot for the East and West meant something and were entertaining. Uh, you know, that, that should say something because in the large scheme of things, the players could have, you know, and teams could have, taking a little bit off the gas and preserve their guys for, for the playoffs. They weren't getting eliminated. Nothing was on the line in that sense. The other series, oh boy, Nashville. You shouldn't have hired John Hines. Don't don't hire bad coaches, everybody. Don't recycle. I mean, the NHL, we talk, it's a good thing that they recycle, but they don't recycle in the right way. I mean, I'm happy for Arizona, happy for the Coyotes, because it proves that there was something in that group. And obviously, I know you like Rick Tockett. Um, they got the goaltending. I, I do not like Rick Tockett. Ah, okay. okay. Rick Tockett says he's more of a penguin than a flyer. So this, just keep ah, that in Well, whatever it is, he won a playoff series more than the Penguins did this year. So congratulations to Rick Tockett. Um, they got, earned it. They did. Um, Darcy Kemper was great. I like. The, I don't think they're going to – I really don't think they have a chance against the Colorado Avalanche because I think that the Avs can draw them out and make the Coyotes play a game they don't want to play more than Nashville did. Who just? I mean, Philip Forsberg was like, we played the same way every game. And I'm like, I don't know what Edmonton's bus system is like, but Philip Forsberg threw his coach underneath it, that's for sure. Uh, and that meant uh, the, the Predators are out. 
again, they get Lafreniere, perfectly acceptable. Nobody's going to mind that. They could use some high on offensive talent. But I just, I mean, I'm, it's good for the Coyotes to win a playoff series. They're one of those teams that you just like, if they had a chance at winning, the perception of them would be a lot different. And I'm glad that they won, uh, even through all the nonsense they went through with Chayka. So good those, for the Coyotes. Good those for jerseys. First playoff series ever. Congratulations to him. Those jerseys are definitely worthy of a win in and of themselves. I'm not sure if it was like the Mighty Ducks where they switched the jerseys and they gain, you know, that team unity and camaraderie and are able to beat any opponent, uh, like in D2. But I, I think it might be. Uh, you know, I'll give Shaika enough credit. He is the he is the guy who brought in Castle. He is the guy that brought in Taylor Hall, and that factored in greatly into the Nashville season. He brought in a couple goalies that fit the system, that fit the way they wanted to play, and looked good. Darcy Kemper uh, has an interesting stat. He's very good in back-to-back games. So uh, this calendar, that series calendar, favored Arizona. They took advantage of game series too. So, yep. So we'll, you know, that's that's to their benefit. That's to their, you know, Arizona just kind of is playing all the angles well right now. Uh, and they're getting by uh, on the margins, and uh, good for them. I, I don't know if it's going to continue against Colorado. I don't think it will, but... But I'm happy for them. I'm, uh, also, okay, you know the team that is much more fun to watch lose than the, than, the, than the Leafs? It's the Oilers. When the Oilers screw up, they screw up spectacularly. And I feel bad for Connor McDavid. He, he way more deserves than, than what the Oilers give him. But, boy, is it fun watching them. You, you talk about the fence scores. I mean, good Lord, what a disaster that was. What a disaster. Like, that's the, worst, that's the worst out of all the, the series losses. That's, the, that's worse than Pittsburgh. That's worse than Nashville. That's worse than any of them. I'll, I'll say this. You went against Chicago, which, with the rest, uh, John, John Taves seems to refound a little bit of energy. It's not going to go much longer i don't think destroyed by the golden knights there's no chance they have against vegas but like it it gives us the the fodder laugh at the oilers which is fun we'll see i mean yeah edmonton's defense didn't play good but they don't have that great of goaltending in my estimation don't either but that's again like that's they don't have a good offense too if you think about it like i I know everyone's not gonna like this but uh, where is your center that can play defense? Where is the center that can get the puck out of the zone in the right ways? Uh, I don't that beat you know the defensive coverage. Uh, I don't know if they have that. Four is good. It's not. Yeah, basically Edmonton. The only good thing about their game is that they have two really good players that by themselves can score a point or two a night. Um, and they just cannot win you series at this point it, on their own. And uh, this is the talk about blaming star players. Um, I, I fully on the I'm not blaming star players for not being able to pick up their teammates who are terrible uh, and management who is terrible. Uh, so I will give all uh, the not credit, but I will say, Connor and Leon, you did what you could. You need I, better teammates. You need better. Well, I, I, was, I was trying to say that I do, you know. I think that there's a difference between what Crosby uh, did in Pittsburgh uh, in a losing effort versus what McDavid did for Edmonton in a losing effort. I know people are going to take that wrong way and come at me like I'm an idiot, but that basically there's a difference between 
you know, star players playing playing well, adapting to the series, you know, changing their game and giving everything they can at both ends versus, you know, a guy like McDavid who just continues to try to play everything off the rush and off face-offs in the power play uh, and, and doesn't really try to make his team better or cover for his defensemen or do other things like that. Like, it, it's just noticeable to me when I watch uh, and its effect on the team. Um, you know, it's, I don't want to say his defense is Matheson bad, but you see, you know, the chaos that his style brings to defensive structure uh, and to actually just the structure moving up and down the ice. Uh, he needs to not always play at 100% of his speed because 100% of his speed is way too fast for his team, especially at their talent level. And it basically just stretches them out. It, it makes a lot of isolation plays. It makes a lot of – it just doesn't work out in a series where the other team can game plan and shut you down enough times to beat you if they're just even competent. And Especially when you don't have that defense. I mean, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Basically, what you're saying is he's going too fast. His teammates can't keep – it's like Wayne Gretzky asking the Coyotes to play like he did when that's not the yeah. And And when you think about it, when Gretzky, when Gretzky only had Robitaille and a few guys in LA, they could only get so far in the in the playoffs. When he went to the Blues, same thing. When he went to the Rangers, same thing. I mean, he needed the dynasty, the 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 sick line to play on, with the other lines after him, the defense core, the goalie, you know, that were all very good to elite level all throughout the lineup. And you don't have that. I mean, look at all the other Stanley Cup winners. It's Look at the flyers that we're talking about. Uh, you know, I know people want to say it's Barkov's fault or it's McDavid's fault for not carrying the team, but the teams that actually win and, and go, you know, to the to the conference final or the Stanley Cup, other than like the Ottawa or the Cinderella teams that are just again luck and don't really have a good chance of winning, are teams that are stacked that you know have two or three first line centers and you know a couple first pair defensemen playing on the team on different pairs and you know there are teams that can put JVR and Ghost on you know in the press box for three games they don't have to play them like other teams that have to play guys because you know they're even if they're not playing well they at least are the only ones with skill that can play to maybe come through for them Whitmer's lineup is too lopsided that's just a definitive fact now yeah. What they would have done in the seven-game series in a normal environment, who the hell knows, but they are out. Uh, other series was, was uh, Minnesota-Vancouver. I, I like Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes. They're fun. I don't know how good the Canucks are. I mean, they're going to get a bit of a trial by fire against the, uh, the, the Blues because uh, I think the Blues aren't going to be as bad as they were in the round robin. They know when they need to turn it on and what they need to do to turn it on. Uh, but the Canucks are going to be a sneaky, fun team. It's just a shame that Jim Benning signed all those horrible free agents. They're going to be good, and this is just, you know, another stepping stone for them. Uh, you know, they're still young enough, and it's still, you know, the first couple years of these guys' career. Uh, so I'm not reading too much into when, you know, if they lose to St. Louis or, or, or not. They they played they played well, you know, the last week and, and change, and that that's that's 
really what matters. Uh, you know, Hughes has looked pretty good. I think there's still a lot more rounding out to his game for him to become a playoff defenseman. I think he can be on the highlight reel and help the offense and his team win games that way in the playoffs. But I don't think you're going to see his true potential until he rounds out his game and he's doing a lot more without the puck and he's moving pucks a little faster and using his teammates more because if that team gets deeper and he has more teammates to use and he's getting the pucks to, you know, Pedersen and, and Besser more, uh, it's going to go well. Both mm-hmm. are better. So that is the Stanley Cup playoffs that are now not the Stanley Cup qualifiers anymore. That's a weird distinction. Only the NHL could have it this way. Yeah, yeah. So teams that didn't make the playoffs have playoff stats. It's yes. Fun. Which means that the Panthers still haven't won a playoff series in 24 years. Well, that's about Eight, right. 8,835 days. That makes sense. I mean, I, I guess it, it makes sense to get into, you know, the Panthers right now. Um, when you look at, you know, what they've done since 96, what they've done since Talon's taken over in 2010, a decade, um, it's not much. There's not much to talk right. about other than disappointment, than missed chances, than you know, pretty much anything negative you want to you want to talk about. And obviously, we're talking no direction. Okay, we've talked about that already. Um, but just just briefly on this series, uh, we talked a little bit about it last week. Um, the good thing the power play was good because if not, the Panthers would have scored maybe two goals the entire series. They did Zippo five on five, and that's not surprising because they don't have any depth to work. When Eric Halla is quote unquote your second line center, and I think Dom Lucision posted the game scores, he had the worst of everybody on the team. I mean, I mean that was obvious. I mean everybody could see that coming. And, and five lineup changes for game three, it's it's to throw it at the wall and see what sticks. It shows you have no faith really in your your personnel and. I can't blame Barkov and Huberto for that. That that Barkov thing with Pulak in Game Four, uh, people are blaming him for that. Not fair. Uh, Barkov and Huberto are the least of the Panthers' problems. We know that. Um, and the only other thing that we could say about um, this is uh, Bobrovsky. Yes, he gave up a bad goal, the first goal to uh, Beauvillier in Game Four, uh, but he is by no means the biggest problem with the Panthers in that series. He was largely good, but as I wrote uh, for the Rat Trick, when you don't have a team in front of him. Uh, that can score the goals, where every mistake is magnified. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky gives up one bad goal, and it costs you a game. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, um, he, Florida makes him look worse than he actually is. Columbus made him look better than he probably is, is, is now how I see it. But Bobrovsky was not the problem in that series. It was everything in front of him, other than Barkov and Huberto, was just a mess. But that's not a surprise. I think everybody could have seen that coming. The, the people talking about that Barkov shot, block shot by Pulak, I've not played hockey before. I mean, just That's by the time he, and it's by the time, like split second. Well, by the time he got to the puck, I mean, he catches the puck, which is spinning off of with the way the puck spins, hit the hits the heel of his blade and spins off of his blade. He's on his backhand at the end of his wingspan all the way, you know, so he's a righty. So he's a lefty. So it's all the way to the right side of his body on his backhand, kind of at the limit of his wingspan, puck rolling off. If he just tries to sweep that, he's fanning on it. He's whiffing on it. He has to corral it. You can say that he should have wrapped it around on his forehand and try to 
jam it onto the net around the defenseman that way. Sure, if you want to, if you want to say he should have done that, okay, that's fine. But he he recrowd it and tried to get it on net as quickly as possible because it was still an empty net, and it got blocked. I mean, that happens. There's Matthews missing on an open net, and again, we talked about you know multiple teams Crosby having chances to score and doesn't. You know, these are stars. They don't score every single time they shoot. Uh, and I think it, that gets a little too magnified. Uh, but, you know, when Barkov wasn't on the ice, there was no momentum in the game. The Panthers were doing nothing. And Barkov would come back onto the ice and have to do everything, have to win back possession, have to win back, tilt the ice, going the other way. And by that point, once he'd start to get some momentum, it'd be 40, 45 seconds. It shifts over. He gets off the ice. Next line comes on. It's Hala. And you talked about what his game score was, what some of his stats were. Uh, you know, we're supposed to be looking at these advanced stats and making, you know, some semblances of decisions off them. Well, going by that, anything Barkov did, once they put Hala out, was completely erased. And that's Hall is the guy subbing for Barkov when Barkov comes off the ice. So that just tells you exactly what happens. How, how you know, you see how Boston scores. You see how the teams like Carolina score, the, how Chicago was able to score with momentum. It was two, three, four shifts in a row of doing the small little things, winning puck battles, winning races to the puck, you know, having good sticks and winning stick battles on the boards. Panthers weren't doing any of that outside of, you know, a few names, Barkov, Uyghur, Ekblad and Huberto, you know, for the most part. Hoffman, Ekblad for the most Uyghur part. Uyghur had a good series, and uh, they were the only two defensemen that had a good series. I, I would say Ekblad had good periods, and I would say the same thing about Huberto. They had good periods. I think Barkov, for the most part, had good games. Uh, uh, you know, he wasn't perfect, I, but, you know, I I think his game would have went to a different level if the team was going. It's a lot easier... Uh, to take it to the next level to, you know, you're scoring more when you're coming onto the ice and the other team and the other goalie is tired from facing shots and pressure and all of that stuff. It's a lot easier. You know, that's how you, you kind of penetrate and break a team like the Islanders who are consistently good at team structure and defense. And it just wasn't there. And we looked at it. They don't have any center depth. Uh, you know, the wingers that magnified in this series. Yeah. Good Lord. You, you talked about the five lineup changes going into game three, the lineup they went into with game one and game two, you know, I thought that was waving the white cow. I mean, my biggest concern, I think the biggest scapegoat of that series against the Islanders is Quinville. Uh, the roster could have been put out by Tom Rowe, Bob Bugner, uh, you know, Gallant, name any of the guys that iced the, uh, a third and fourth line that everybody could point at and be like, maybe they'll be a nothing. Maybe it'll be a neutral when they're on the ice. Hopefully they aren't a defensive liability. That was the goal. That was the highlight of the roster you're putting out on the ice. I mean, it's not that hard to make to beat the Islanders' offensive roster. And the Panthers did everything they could to even out the the skill level on the forward lines. I don't get it. Uh, and when you look at the defense, how Mike Matheson, just based on the exhibition games or just based on the exhibition games in the last year, 
or you know whatever time frame they wanted to use why Mike Matheson was allowed to see the ice is just telling on themselves that they they wanted to be on TV tonight at 6 p.m. rather than win the series I think I think because they, what they did whether it was Talon or Quinville or whoever it did not it it didn't give any chance of really winning they had to get lucky they had to have Bobrovsky seal every game and they had to have Barkov and Huberto's get two or three points every night to have a shot in that series and that's a hard way to do it no not against the again if maybe if you play against a team like Toronto who will run and gun with you and the Panthers can succeed in that way because they're a better run and gun team they don't know how to slow it down they only play at one speed and when you make mistakes it's magnified and you're right about everybody talks about accountability that Mike Matheson plays after game one after game one he should have been sitting not game not just game two yeah, game there were so many there's and then and then as soon as they sit him you know the two games they played after the team looks instantly a lot better i mean they still weren't perfect there's still a lot of stuff they have to do uh you know to improve the roster yada yada but you can see the difference and i mean is, is chaotic neutral if i've ever heard of the term chaotic neutral and he was infinitely bad like i barely noticed josh brown play because he didn't play all that often but i barely noticed josh oh, brown I know on the ice. Well, well i know you did but i mean like when mike matheson's on the ice you notice him every single time that's just his style of play and i feel bad we bury him all the time but like that's the kind of defenseman it's the worst version of the kind of defenseman the panthers have too many of too many puck rushers too many people who try to play hero ball and, it, and they make mistakes. And Matheson's mistakes got magnified every single time. And that is something the Panthers cannot have. Especially when you only have two defensemen that are worth the salt. As Riley Stillman had a bad series, and I can understand that. Strawman wasn't very good. Yandel is only useful in the power play at this point. Again, I'm not surprised. I would say Strawman was the third or fourth best defenseman, depending on how you thought Brady Keeper played. Keeper was fine. You know, like, that's how bad it was, I think, as yeah. a defenseman, because I thought Strawman did fine uh, playing one-on-one -on -one defense with guys. I think he was just bad with the puck. He was bad some t in, with well, his got, changes. In game one, you saw him get beaten in all those physical battles by the Islanders who went and just attacked him, attacked him, attacked him, and they wore him down. So I Yeah, mean, I mean, I mean that that's the issue. He was playing eight nine too many minutes he should have been the one playing minimal minutes but it was matheson it was the other you know it was the worst day yeah yeah like if in in in, in a future if anton strawman's your third pairing defenseman like if they get a defenseman next year that legitimately can play top four perhaps top two minutes and strawman yandel is your bottom pair that's going to work a lot better but i mean it's not gonna be good but it's gonna be better than it was this year where strawman had to play far too many minutes and yeah. I, I mean, if we're being Quenville just did it because he's like, I got nothing else I can do here. There's nothing else I can do. Well, there wasn't much adjustment from Quinville. There wasn't much anything from Quinville. I don't know if he went to South Beach to retire or what, but I, I need to see more out of him for sure. Oh, uh, yeah. And then no, 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 I agree with that. I agree with that. Panthers um, new GM needs to see more from him for sure. Oh, yeah. We've gone 49 minutes and we haven't talked about that yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. The, the, 
you know, there were a few good things that the Panthers did that series. They had Barkov outside of the front of the net on the power play more, and shocker, he scored. He looked good. Power play yeah. looks good. The power play always looks good for the Panthers. You know, I, and Barkov was shooting more. He was driving to the net with the puck more rather than pulling I up and waiting for guys. blaming him for this because it's not his fault. The dude wanted to be there. He wanted his chance. He can't single-handedly lift the team. And he, I, played, I, he played really well. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it, it's not enough, It's but we knew it. I, they met my expectations, you know, they what did, I thought they, would they happen. They played worse than I thought they were going to play is basically the best way I could describe it. Not that I'm happy with it or anything. No, uh, no, no, no. I was obviously, as I've, as I've joked, there is no such thing as rock bottom. It can always get worse. Uh, with the Panthers, there's always a chance that it's going to get worse. They did not play worse than I thought they were going to. They played basically as I thought they were going to play. Uh, and for the case of the Islanders, uh, I was not impressed. Like they, I mean, it only took them until game five of game four to really put them away. Like that shouldn't have happened. And that's because, again, you talk about Barry Trotz. I mean, that those two, they have two scoring lines and then two grind lines. And the defense core is a lot of good, nothing great. Like the Islanders are a team of a lot of good to very good, but nobody elevating above that. Like, Matt Barzell did not have a great series. He had his moments. Like, the best forward for the Islanders was probably Beauvillier, and that's not what you need to win a series. So, uh, against a team that is anything worth their salt. That's why I'm not really confident in them going forward. Uh, they, I mean, it worked, because a lot would work against the Panthers. Uh, but, like, they, they were fine. There was nothing special about them. They played like the Islanders. Yeah. But, like, I don't know whether that elevate Like, th that's a team that they get the right matchup they can win. But if they get if, – if you have to chase – if the Islanders have to chase the game, they got no chance. So you got to get a team that jumps on them. And I think the Capitals at their best can jump on them. So those are my thoughts on the Islanders. I don't see much wrong with that. Um, I think now, you know, let's, let's break it into – you know, let's take out – there's a lot of – uh, want and desire to focus on the the politics, the uh, you know the high school soap opera ness of the Florida Panthers. But if we're you know let's be, get agnostic of that. Let's look at it, this a uh, sober approach. There's two years left of Barkov's contract, and judging by the fact that they just the ownership wanted it and and stamped it that contract for Bobrovsky, uh, you ha they're committed to trying to make these last two years of Barkov's contract competitive. Uh, to me, that is the focus of everything. That's where this conversation is going to be focused around. If you're of the opinion that Barkov, Huberto need to get sold off, Bobrov we, we need to try to get out of Bobrovsky as quickly as possible, and let's just by time until the Spencer Knight era. The, the rest of this podcast probably isn't for you. You can probably listen along and, and laugh at it, but don't take it too seriously. Don't judge us. Don't give us comments, blah, blah, blah. We're just can only look at it through this lens. because I, I look at it in the idea that Barkoff and Huberto deserve more than the team they've gotten. And, yes, I, remember and JT Bourne, I remember that JT Bourne column on The Athletic that, yes, I'm bringing it up because it quoted something I wrote, but he's not wrong. Barkoff and Huberto deserve better. They deserve a winner. And I think that the whoever the next GM of this team is needs to come in and try to find a way to maximize what they have when they are on these amazing contracts. 
and they are again and also the other point the big two things that i've seen on twitter being mentioned about a little bit firstly joel quenville's not retiring he's making six million dollars a year uh there is no way he's willingly giving that how many up. how many years left in that contract four so they're definitely make they're definitely even you know they have to get through the next two years competitively. That that's there's no other way around it. Promptly that they're automatically bad next year, but there's a lot of things they need to do to be not bad. Obviously, I think that that's something we'll get into shortly. Um, and the second thing I want to mention, and I hate when people mention it because it's really stupid, uh, is the are the Panthers even going to be around when they're competitive again? Are they going to move to Quebec by now? If you thought Gary Bettman worked his tail off to save the Arizona Coyotes, he's going to work even harder to save the Florida Panthers. I mean, you just gave him an all-star game. It's only a pandemic that's preventing it from happening. Uh, there is no way the Panthers leave South Florida. Stop it with that immediately. There's more of a chance that they get Lafreniere at number one by Bettman to try to help them than Bettman wants to move them. A frozen ping pong ball. There's a bigger yeah. chance that the Panthers move because the BB&T Center is underwater than the Panthers are moving willingly. There is no way they well, move. I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think that they're moving now. I think if we, if we look at Barkov leaving in free agency or having to sell Barkov at the trade deadline in two years or whatever uh, at the end of his contract, then maybe we can talk about moving. But I think right now with the war memorial plans, with all this stuff, uh, you know, they're trying to make this work at the next season and the year after that before they have to, before they find out whether Barkov divorces them or not. Simple as that. I, I, it's something, it's a stupid discussion, period. Uh, they're not moving regardless of what happens with Barkov. But anyway, uh, let's talk about now, it's a whole different argument of whether they should move. And I'm starting to lean to, yeah, let's do it, because that would at least mean that there's new ownership involved and I'm all for it. So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, anyway, uh, I, uh, I'm not going to relitigate discussions. We've, had in the past. We've done that before. Let's talk about the future of this team and general managers. There's they, they say they are conducting a thorough external search. I don't know what that means. Lord willing, it is actually a thorough external search as opposed to uh, a rubber stamp. Uh, I will go over just briefly things that I want in a new GM, and then I'll talk just quickly about some candidates because I haven't thought about it too much as we were recording this. Um, the thing that I want is obviously, number one, is they have to be from outside the organization. I want new voices. I want new eyeballs. I want somebody who is not linked with what has happened in this place in the past. They, they, they the best organizations have a plan and have a vision and have a willingness to stick to that. I hope that, first of all, that's on ownership needing to stick to it for more than two years before somebody whispers in Buddy Viola's ear. The second thing is I want a plan. I need a vision. I want a, even if I disagree with the vision, I just need a vision that is stuck to. I need a vision that is committed, and you can see that in the process and the decisions they make, the free agents they sign, the draft, their development model, everything. That's what I think the Panthers need and they haven't had. That I want from a general manager that can do that. I think there are GMs out there or potential GMs out there that can do that. And so just a consistency of vision, a consistency of purpose, a consistency of plan, and a willingness to stick to it is very important. No more yo-yoing. No more getting cold feet. No more we're not going to spend X, Y, and Z, uh, but then we're going to do it the next year. Be consistent. Give this and give whoever you're hiring a chance to succeed. That's what I want to see from this ownership immediately. That's the only way they have a chance to win. Uh, in terms of names, 
the number one dream choice I would have is reuniting Yarmo and Yari Kekalainen, but obviously that's not possible. So I, I'm going for the next best thing, and I'm going for somebody from the from an organization that's been winning and has a plan, and you know what? That's Bill Zito. Bill Zito is the AGM for the Blue Jackets. Um, the Blue Jackets, whatever you want to say about the way that they play, they have a vision, they have an idea of what they want to do. Yarmo Kekalainen sticks to his plan, and more often than not, that boldness gets them victories. That boldness gets them where they want to go. Even though they didn't have any draft picks last year, they still have guys coming in and making plays. I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois over Jesse Pugliarvi is one of the best draft decisions in recent memory. Um, and Bill Zito is a part of that. He's a part of understanding how you can blend old and new together. Uh, he, I'm amazed he hasn't been a GM yet. If the Panthers hired Bill Zito, I would be very, very pleased. Yeah, Zito and Hextall, I the only two names I'm really thinking of, but I am of the opinion, I don't care who. Uh, it, I just want it to be outside the organization too. I want that definitive cut from the toxicity of what's happened in the past and not, there can't be any more conversation moving forward about that. Everything has to be focused on the two years to get things done. And we can only really look forward uh, I'm a good choice. Um, I, obviously, he's not putting a team over the top, but he can certainly build. And, uh, you know, I, I think. Well, we don't know if he can't put the team over the top. He's only had one team. And we know what the, the issue was he was aligned to the coach too much. And the coach couldn't put the team over the top. So that meant that, you know, he had to give the coach more time. Has he learned from his mistake by getting fired for it? We'll see. But he would at least be a united vision, somebody who knows how to draft defense, develop defense, and put them in the NHL. Um, and No, Hextall's you, fine. Now, the only reason why I bring it up is because our old friend Eklund has said E4 Hextall to Florida, so maybe you want to point uh, that a little bit. Uh, but the only, the only other name that I thought of um, was Mike Fuda. Uh, that's another name. But I, I think really for me, even if you bring in somebody like Lawrence Gilman from Toronto – I just want somebody who has an idea of what they need to do to win, is going to get the tools to succeed, and has the ability to say to ownership, this is what you need to do to win. And you got to believe in me. You hired me. Give me that chance. And I just want, I also want somebody from an organization that wins. You know, like if you're hiring somebody from Tampa, I mean, we know they love the Lightning. So good if you hire somebody from Boston, maybe less so from Boston, but like just hire somebody from a winning organization. Just hire somebody who has a plan and a vision and a consistency and knows what it takes to win. You know, is willing to put in that extra effort to win. I know that they're out there. It's just a matter of you have to hire them and you have to give them the tools to succeed. And I hope that that's what's happening here with this external search. And we're going to hear names mentioned all the time in the coming days and weeks. And we will see what, I mean, the draft isn't until October, so they got plenty of time, obviously. Uh, but I mean, we'll, like, we'll see how much time they give it. I mean, the the shorter it is, if it's real short and they name it Joyce, the head coach, obviously this the external part was just for show and they knew what they were doing. Uh, just like they knew Talon was going to be definitely gone before the series against the Islanders started, and they even hinted and telegraphed so much in the in the leaks in the press. But um, the I, I think for me, it's less about coming from a winning team. I mean, I would have been fine with Ralph Kruger, uh, you know, giving him the coach and GM duties, you know, last off season. 
I, I, I'm open to a lot of different ideas. Uh, I, I just want somebody who is completely new and who has a united plan on how to develop centers and develop defensemen and to give this team a proper identity and execute to it. And the biggest issue I had with Talon um, was the only way he took risk was in the UFA market with contracts. He didn't really take that much risk, you know, unless Kekalainen basically told him he had to on, at the draft table. Yeah, Barkov. Uh, Barkov was a risk, and it worked but, out because there was courage. And again, you don't want to relitigate talent too much, but, like, he made better decisions when he had less, like, input from ownership. Like, when they were under the cheapskates that came in before Viola and Sifu, he made better decisions. I mean, yeah, Branson stunk. Obviously, that didn't work. But he drafted Huberto and Barkov. And, and those were better decisions than what we saw later on when he was under pressure and there was other things like that. And again, he made a lot of bad free agent moves. Terrible free agent decisions. I mean, it, you go down a list of them. And they all stunk. And, I mean, yeah. That, it doesn't matter what we say. We'll always be known as, you know, Dale Talon's fanboys, cronies, or whatever people want to call us. Not like we haven't been asking for him to not be the GM for the past three or I mean, I, I just, it's like, listen, I... Not that we haven't criticized pretty much a lot that he's done, I but mean, we're just not the we, we idiotic enough to... We podcast talking about, you know, the fact that we hate defensemen the Panthers have. That's Dale Talon, you know. And, like, yeah. not goaltending i mean that was that was talent and i mean like the coaching decision talent like he was not a good general manager in florida there's no doubt about that now did he have a reasonable chance to succeed no because ownership never gave him one but again the, the point is now the can owner can 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 vinnie viola and doug sifu learn the lessons from why they haven't been winning and realize that it isn't about money it isn't about cycling in people in and out it's about a consistent and I, I don't know if they will but they this is their basically their their best chance to do it. I we'll, we'll see. I mean, I don't have any expectations or any faith in them, obviously. So we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I think that out of any argument against, it's not so much an argument against Joyce. It's you know from all he's been here seven years. You've seen what his hockey resume consists of. It consists of running two AHL teams into the into the brink, really, for the Panthers, into the and ground. no development of prospects whatsoever. None of these prospects have developed in the way that they should. And, and again... And, I mean, and it's just, it's time for something new. Like Colton Saucerman, you know. Well, yeah, and then it's just, you know, when you look at Henry Bowlby contract that was just signed by the the Panthers, I mean, like, there's... Signed a 25-year-old defenseman out of college. What's the point of that? Why are you doing that? What, it's, how does that make the Panthers better? And, you know, so we just need to move forward and have people who aren't going to be in the GM space relitigating the past, trying to make up for past sins, with both, which both Talon and Joyce would be guilty of were they to be GMs of the team next year. And what they need to focus on is two main things, is getting a 2C and getting a top four left-handed defenseman. And if they can't do both of those things for next year, then they're essentially wasting one of the two years, 50% of Barkov's remaining contract. And then the conversation becomes, 
what team do you want to follow while Florida rebuilds and waits for whatever couple draft picks they're going to have in the next couple of years to come through? Uh, because one thing that you have to remember, Corey Promen said this today uh, in his article about you know the impact and implication of Lafreniere and all the different in the eight different teams that are you know uh, in the draft lottery part two, um, but Denisenko, Tippett. Um, Colin Tronock, like Knight, Knight, specifically Knight, he said also, is not, they're not elite prospects. What, they're, they're an average team with an average, pool, with an average prospect pool with no depth. So there's a lot to do, but it starts with a 2C and it starts with a top pairing left handed defenseman or top four left handed defenseman at the very least. To get things going, uh, because without that, you don't even have enough wheels on the car to make it in the playoffs. No, you don't have enough gas in the tank. No, I mean, and the, and, and it's the same thing. And now that you and you can say whether you what you thought about Trocheck is too safe, but they don't have one now, and they yeah, need, and then, they need to have one. And and you saw it because boy, for retrospect, I mean, you can say that you know they coronavirus makes it look worse and everything, but you, there's no defense of that trade. No, there is no. I mean, at this point, it, it it gets worse and worse by the day. And I wasn't a huge fan of it when it happened, although I knew why it, it, they 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 made it. But I mean, Lord. Uh, let's just talk quickly about like the free agents um, and who I'm bringing. The like only one I'm bringing back really is Dadnoff. I would bring him back because of the connection with Barkoff and Uber. Oh. Certainly very worthwhile. But other than that. You're not bringing back Hoffman. He's going to cost too much money, and he's a bit of a one-trick pony. Well, I think I think before we get into the roster, we have to talk about the Panthers need to get a new strength and conditioning coach. They need to get new – whoever runs their practices has to change, and it has to be way more up-tempo. They're getting skated out of the barn here. They're not ready for it. They're not intense. They can't keep an intensity over 60 minutes. That has to change. They're not strong enough. There's – a whole lot that needs to change about their conditioning in the off season and in season. Uh, and, you know, those were new hires that were all brought in after the 2016 purge. So I don't know if that's on talent uh, right there, um, but there has to be more than just the GM change. Uh, uh, so that, that, that starts. And then obviously you have to get Matheson gone, uh, whether you loan him to Europe, you have to get him just, Hopefully you're not just taking the moon uh, and a whole bunch of debt to to get rid of them. But and then you have to get Uyghur signed. You talked about that now. Is excuse? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uyghur needs to be re-signed. I would re-sign. I would re-sign Walmart. He's an RFA, so they probably will. Well, he's fine. we'll see. I mean, it depends on how much he wants because he's he at a million dollars, maybe one point two million dollars. He taps out at being worthwhile. That's that's the hundred seventy five thousand now. So right, I mean, yeah, but I mean that you could say that that was an underpayment for his last two years. So he might be trying to make a little some of that back. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I mean, but after Uyghur, after Dadnov or Hoffman, I think they're going to sign one of them. I hope it's Dadnov, like you said. But in my opinion, they have to sign one of them back because if you oh, look. I they're going to sign one of them. I if think you look at their cap friendly, they have one left-handed. Def- they have one left winger. They have two centers, one being Barkov, the other being Achari, and then they have like three right wingers, and most of them are Colin Sevier, Frank Vertrano, and 
I don't even. Um, I'd be thinking so about Brett Connolly. Oh my God, yeah, Brett Connolly, so fucking forgettable at this point. Oof, did he even play in that series? Uh, I think that if you're talking about like the Panthers, if we're talking about creating cap space, which is what I think they need, other than Matheson, um, you got to start thinking about Bevier and the Toronto being moved. Well, like, they're fine, but and Connolly, if you can, I mean, two, I you, have to, you have to create, you have to move out like five million dollars out of those three players. I think, I think that you know? it it is in theory it is possible i think that they're going to be doing a lot of cap maneuvering as i said next year dennis is going to be on the team you would hope tippett's on the team next year so they're going to save because they're going to have players on entry levels the, and but, then yeah but they're going to need more if, they're going to yeah like a whole second line i mean like if you look at it they, they'll have huberto barkov dadanov and or hoffman so there's a one line per se, and then you'll have Denisenko, Sorella, Tippett, uh, you know, with a rotating cast of like Lostranen, Walmart, Hunt, Bertrano, Charlie, Connolly, Sevier, whoever those guys stay. But then you do, like, so that's literally three spots, three scores needed that need to be top six level. That's a and, lot to fit into. I'm looking at your free agent centers, uh, and, um, there's no one, man. There is nobody. You have to have a lot of you have to have a lot of belief in Radic Fosca and go get trade for him. I mean, like that's what you're the 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 gap at center is maybe even more of an issue at defense because you're thinking like, okay, maybe they can paper over defense with like maybe Kalachanov has really good KHL start and they can bring him over when the season starts and he like takes off because he's a bit older. He'll be about twenty then. That kind of makes sense. He could maybe play, um, you know, or they're, they're thinking that Stillman's going to break out a little more like Uyghur did. I don't know if I see it. I think he kind of tops out as a third-pairing defenseman who maybe still has a little bit of issues. But, um, you know, I don't know if Prisky's not really going to help in that manner. Maybe Keeper takes that step and fills that role, but I still think they're a little short on D. But there is no way they can pay over that center. No, no, no. Uh, your best – is, your bet oh God, it's even worse than i thought yeah you have to trade for a center so that means tip it you know you're, you're gonna have to move tip it you're gonna have to move um you're gonna have to move somebody you maybe get have. creative and maybe maybe you have a maybe maybe huberto's exit interview <laughs> does not go well and he asked for a trade and you can maybe move huberto for for a top end center i'm not sure about that but like but I mean, the only thing about them winning Alexi Lafreniere, and you're going to find out by the time this posted whether they did that or not. Like getting Lafreniere means it would be easier to move one of Tippett or Denisenko or somebody like that. Yeah, well, I don't think you can move Denisenko. I mean, because no, I don't think they're going to move Denisenko. I, I, but it would maybe easier to move Tippett is what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe you have to move Denisenko though to get that two C because I don't know if Tippett was not playing him for so long. And, you know, constantly benching him in favor of grinders, that, that sends a message around the league. I don't know who's going to take Tippett for a 2C that can step in and be a 2C next year. Maybe you do have to go to Dennis Hanko. That's Florida's in a very tough situation, and whoever is the general manager needs to, unlike Talon, take that risk to be wrong to, you know, swing for the fences like, here. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, with, with, with Ron Hextall, I mean, like, he, he – he, he kind of did. I mean, like, there were a couple risks that he took. Um, certainly the Columbus Blue Jackets are notable for the risks they take. 
So I, I just want some, but yeah, I, I would almost agree with you that 2C is more important right now than, than defenseman. Like, the defenseman is clearly important, hugely important, but boy, do they need to maximize center. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, like I said, I think that it's easier to trade Tippett for the type of defenseman they need or a type of defenseman that can step in and, and you know, maybe play with Uyghur or Ekblad or Keeper next year or Yandel and settle Yandel down. Um, I think that is easier to get in a trade. Centers are, like, the hardest to get and the most expensive to get in a trade. And that's why it might take, you know, your best asset uh, – to, to do and you might have to pay a price you don't want to pay you might have to be a you know a tippet and hepo niemi situation it might it might be more than that you Maybe know you it might a draft pick in the future like yeah. that's something you might have to do because uh, they put yeah. themselves in the position of you know eric you can re you can bring back walmart you can even bring back holla but you that still does not solve the problem because as we've seen Hall is more of a second-line winger, third-line center. If your third line's like a chip-and-chase scoring line, not like a defensive. I don't like Hall. I don't like Hall at all. Um, so, you know, yeah. Um, it, now, it's going to be tough. I mean. No, I know that this would bring in a draft point of view for you, but if the Panthers do not win the draft lottery, they would pick 12th. So thanks to Toronto, Edmonton, and Pittsburgh for losing, they get a bit of a higher draft pick. A little bit. So at 12, I mean, we've always talked about defenseman, 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 but right now, center, center, center. Like, like that's almost number one in my book for me is it's, it's a center. And I, and I haven't even really been thinking about that, you know, as opposed to thinking about defenseman, defenseman, defenseman. Because, like, think about it. Their last multiple first-round picks were what? Goalie, right. winger, winger, yeah. and then uh, then Borgstrom, but who knows what's happening with him, and then winger, then defenseman. Like, the last time they really took a center was Barkoff. They need a center. And, and Borgstrom's probably more of a winger than center, that we, as we know by now. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. so talk then a little bit about centers at 12, if they're not yeah. getting Lafreniere. Well, I mean, I think first we should start with for D at 12. Um, there's two ways that you can do it, a defender at 12, a drafted defender at 12. It's hoping Sanderson falls to 12. I don't think that's likely, but it's because he's so hyped and the D's really thin, especially at the top this year, um, especially on the North American side, which are more the common D to go high. Uh, so, you know, Sanderson and Drysdale will go probably in the top eight, I, I would I would say. Well, so then you, I think everybody up there needs defensemen. So yes, I would agree with you. Yeah. And so I, you know, then you, then you're looking at, okay, then you is, do you want to reach for a guy like William Molinder or Helga Granz? Uh, there'll be people who put um, Schneider and Gooley in the WHL in that category. I'm a little low on them because for two reasons, especially for the Panthers who have had issues drafting, them living up to what they're supposed to be. Um, but also with them, I think their skating issues will limit their ability to be two-way defensemen. They're going to be more one-dimensional defensemen, which is fine. 
I like those defensemen, but it's easier to find them later in a draft. It's so hard to find a really good center. I mean, you can find them anywhere in the draft, but if you look at the best centers in the league, they're usually in the top 15 draft picks, you know? So let's take a center there at 12 because you're only getting one, you know, so, you have so, a second and two thirds, you can take some D. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I agree with you on that. Um, I think, again, it depends on who the GM is. Like, if it's Ron Hextall, I would trust him if he picked the D because he drafted Provorov, he drafted Sanheim, so he knows what he's doing. And Columbus has done very good for defensemen, so if it's Bill Zito, I would give them the benefit of the doubt for defensemen. Uh, so we'll have to see whether, like, like, something like that happens. But centers. We haven't talked a lot about the centers in this draft, so I think we should spend the last few minutes yeah. of this show doing that because it is now urgent, urgent, urgent 10-alarm fire problem. So if we're, we're thinking about centers, the good thing is with, with those D, 2D going up and then you're thinking the goalie Askarov, that's three of the top ten most likely are not going to be forwards, which means the center. So you're, you're you know, that's kind of giving you an idea of what centers you're, you're going to be looking at. Um, the top center, I think, for me, that's going to be available most likely is Anton Lindell. He's played pro in Finland right now. Uh, he's a six six one, hundred eighty five. So he has a a good NHL frame if that matters to you. But he plays good defensively. He plays good possession hockey. He makes smart, effective plays. I mean, he's a he's a two C version of Barkov kind of. That's that's what you're getting. He has a really good shot. Uh, he can score from you know the outside. Uh, but he's really just probably more of a, a net increased player than Barkov, but uh, he plays that type of thinking man's uh, team style. Uh, a lot of players don't, a lot of, you know, people, uh, I don't know, what do you want to call them, scouts or uh, the Twitter scouts, uh, they don't like him because they don't think he has that great of scoring potential. Uh, and he's a later, he's an, you know, older player. He's in October 2001, so he's, closer to you know last draft uh than most of the kids in this draft class but so is Lafreniere and that doesn't hurt him so um but Lundell's you know scored well you know has a scored more than most uh, almost all but Barkov at the legal level for a draft year eligible player uh so there's nothing to dislike there I also like Lucas Reichel I think he plays wing and forward He's the German that doesn't really get talked about between um, J.J. Patrika and Tim Stutzel. Uh, but Reichel, I think, is more headsy uh, and I think has probably a little more offensive potential uh, than Patrika. Um, and Stutzel is going to be gone in the top five, so he's not really anything that we can really talk about. I'd love it if, you know, he'd maybe be an option at one if, you know, Panthers wanted to get there. About one. Um, again, Panthers aren't going to win it. If, if, if you've heard the bid already, you know what they have. What about Byfield at one? I would, I'd be fine with that. I mean, he's almost a full year younger. He's like 10 months younger than uh, Lafreniere. Uh, he's naturally athletic, naturally skilled. He um, plays you know, he's, in a, he's a threat to shoot. He's a threat to the pass. He gives a lot of effort on defense. I don't think he's going to ever be, you know, defensively good. 
but he's going to be better defensively, I think, than Trojak. Uh, and, you know, I think Byfield would definitely be something to consider. Um, so would Stutzel at one, or trading back to New Jersey or Ottawa's picks to get, you know, a defenseman at a full. Um, yeah, I mean, but, like, the Bi- there's a lot of Byfield love um, coming yeah, out. Yeah, and I would, I, I would be happy with it. I think, you know, yeah. a team— It would be shocking to a lot of people, but I don't think it would be a bad decision because the, the Panthers desperately need a center. Yeah, I mean, it's centers is like having physical gold, and everything else is a different type of currency or metal, precious metal, or something like that. You know, like it's just yes, you're correct. Centers are better, and so a couple other names at twelve: Maverick Bork. uh, He played in the Q. No relation to Ray Bork. His name Maverick. Yeah. Uh, Does is it Maverick with C K or just a K? Just a K. Oh my God. That's the hockeyest name ever. Yeah. I, I, embarrassing. That would be a good pick for for uh, Florida. I think he would maybe play in, you know, after one more year. Um, and then a little undersized, but uh, the Russian Merit Nutsov. Nut- oh, my God. I, oh, no. It you always takes K-H-S-N-U-T. D-I-N-O-V. It just takes me a long time. I have a little bit of dyslexia, so it's just really hard to do. Hold on, hold on. I've got to look to see if I could find the... uh, Nuts Dina. Nuts Dina. I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you. Uh, He is... um, Hold on. Someone has to cut this out. Okay, Who's Nut Dinoff? That's how it works. Who's Nut Dinoff? Who's Nut Dinoff? Who's Nut Dinoff? Another name, Merit Huznadinov from Russia, July 2002, so he's on the younger end. Uh, I think when it comes to at by 12, 13 in the draft, pure skill level, he's the best player available. Uh, and he also happens to be a center, and he also happens to play that type of center that I like and that I think you know every team needs and needs more of that Barkov, that Datsuk, that F3 center. Always, maybe? Yeah. So, you know, I, I like those those centers that play high in the zone, that play, you know, underneath the puck, that always support the wingers um, and are good two-way, but always dangerous and creative offensively and good playmakers, and that's what he is. Mm-hmm. So... Uh... I mean, they're, they're, I'm trying to think of other names. Like, there are guys who probably are going to go higher in the draft. Like, I mean, everybody talks about Marco Ro- Rossi. Yeah. I don't Marco think he makes it to the, to the Panthers, anything that I've seen. Nope. Nope. I mean, there's there's uh, Dawson Mercer, Seth Jarvis. They're, they're more wingers, though. Um, no Gunler, but that, that they're the kind of people that are in, like, that 10 to 13, 9 to 13 range. I think Cole Perfetti goes is a center. He goes a little too high uh, for the Panthers. Would you advocate trading up if, say, they really like a specific player? I mean, I think they should only trade up if they think Jake Sanderson's the answer. If they okay. think if they think they could drop him in the bar next to Ekblad, and they think that he's going to be, um, you know, some game changer game breaker i don't i don't think he is i think he's more brodeen yarmelson which 
means I'd probably draft him in like the late teens, 20s, and I'd take a forward instead, but we'll see. Okay, so I think that does that that just about covers everything. Yeah, but I, I I wouldn't move up for a forward. I mean, unless I think when if you know Lindell dropped you, if you want to really move up for Lindell, go for it. I don't think he's. I don't know if the if it's really worth it because I think he will drop. So I wouldn't pay the premium for it. Um, and you know that I'm fine with you know a couple of the centers that I know will, will be there like Reichel and. Uh, Okay. If the Panthers <laughs> draft him, I will have a, I will have an episode where we just practice saying that. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I, I, but uh, you know, from twelve, I wouldn't mind trading back to get a late teens or a twenties draft pick, like an early twenties draft pick, and then an early round two draft pick, and take a guy like William Wallinder, who I think could be the best defenseman in the draft four or five years out. I think he's the best skating defenseman in the draft, and I think he has the best combination of offense and defense in the draft. Uh, so if I was going to reach for a defenseman at 12, uh, it'd probably be William, William Wallinder. Okay, so is that everything? That seems like we might have hit everything. Absolutely. So one more thing, uh, Bob McKenzie posted this, this Twitter note earlier today. Uh, his, his semi-retirement is beginning, uh, and Bob McKenzie is awesome. So, uh, Bobby Margarita. Yeah, it's uh, good timing, though. I think he, it was already planned before coronavirus. With coronavirus, it still kind of has to happen. Uh, and he'll still be doing draft stuff, which I think he excels at, and he'll still be doing you know, some playoff stuff or some he'll still you know, do big frenzy. He'll do the draft. He'll be on NBC. Be yeah. So go, go, go Bobby Margarita. Enjoy your time. Yes. Enjoy your, you help. Oh, there's anybody who deserves it. It's this guy. That's for sure. I'm working hard. So we will do a podcast again in the future. Uh, we will, uh, I, I don't know, maybe after the first round or obviously if they hire a GM, we'll have a show on that, but I don't think that's going to happen immediately. If they, uh, if they hire a GM before the end of the first round, I think to me that'll tell me that it wasn't as good of a search as it should be. I don't, I don't think we're seeing a GM until, what, conference finals probably? September 15th. September okay, 12th, September 15th. That's fair enough. That is exactly 36 days from now. It'll give you enough time because I think you're right. They need to at least interview Bill Zito, and I'm not sure you get that until after uh, the series. I think now. that you're going to be able to interview him during the series, I bet, because of the way it is. And I don't think Zito's going to be in the bubble, so I think they could do it anyway. Um, but we'll see. And I will obviously we will keep your eyes out. Uh, we will, and uh, we'll talk about it like on Twitter at Matt's Musings One. If you want to follow, if you don't, or at Y Hockey. Uh, if if when they interview somebody, we'll let you know. Like thing bad, thing good, simple enough. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, enjoy yeah. the hockey that is uh, going to be good. Uh, yeah. No Panthers related things. And uh, as I said, if you hear this earlier, that means something stupid happened with the draft lottery. And, yes. Uh, uh, and and I, I am projecting something stupid, but as I said before, and again, this will sound really dumb if the Panthers ended up winning it, um, good things do not happen to bad teams. Good things don't happen to bad teams. Let me, uh, and uh, since you got one more, I'll, I'll just drop in a couple more 
more since I focus more on European players, uh, some more North American centers. Uh, Brendan Brisson, yes, that Brisson. Wait, uh, at Brisson's kid? He's oh, going to no. be going to University of Michigan. Uh, also, somebody going to the University of Michigan, Thomas Bordelou. They both played in the USHL. Uh, and I would also, uh, I would throw in Hendrix LaPierre, Connor Zary, or uh, Ozzy Weisblatt as another center option. Okay. Maybe Jacob. That, I, I know this is a stupid comment. That kid has to be Jewish. Come on. Ozzy Weisblatt? Yeah, it's the, that is the, uh, that's a Jewish name. It just is. His his brother's names are Orko Weisblatt and Ocean Weisblatt. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay, maybe okay, maybe they're um they're uh I'm trying to think of what the word is for this term. Um <laughs> Oh my lord. You know what I said about Maverick being the hockeyest name ever? Never mind, scratch that. Yeah, this one has a Hendrix first name with an X. That's uh, not good. That's not good. Again, there's a Zion Nyback. Well, there's some good already, names in this. He's already going to be the second most popular Zion, so there you are with that. Hmm. There's a Shakir. There's. Uh, is there? There's oh, yeah, there is it. Yeah, but he's Russian, so uh, it's not as funny. I think it's. I think. It's, I think names are just good. Names are good. Names are good. You know, there's I, a I, Dawson's I, Creek. So. I mean, wait, what? Dawson's. He's not named Dawson's Creek. No, Dawson Mercer. But well, Dawson he's got, Mercer, yeah. But, uh, well, if, if he's got Chris the Dawson's, Dawson's Creek, Creek look, so that just... Oh, I mean, uh, well, actually, no, maybe not. Um, anyway, I, I, um, um, Liam Foodie's brother's in this draft, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. He scored last night, so there you are. Uh, and anyway, uh, Lucas Cormier and Emile Andre, some late-round defensemen I'd also like. Emil Andre, is he related to Eric Andre? No, but that is like me. Uh, uh, Eric Andre is like me outside the Panthers BB&T trying to get into the front office. <laughs> Let me in. Let me in. <laughs> God. All right. That's a way to end. I'm crying. Because that's so perfect. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Right. I will leave you on